From St. Luke's Gospel, there was an inscription over Jesus which read, This is the King of the Jews. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Yes, I'm aware Penn State lost yesterday. I never told you this. When I was in New Jersey, I'm an, I'm an Eagles fan, or was, and in New Jersey, of course, you can't be an Eagles fan because they'll, well, they'll kill you. Um, so I would actually sometimes pretend to be a Giants fan, and so I think I might have to become a, uh, an, o, an Ohio University fan from now on. Every time Penn State plays against them, they lose. Maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just flip. We'll see. Um, but anyway, that doesn't really matter because more importantly, today is the Feast of Christ the King. Christus Rex sounds better in English than it, than in Greek than it does, or in Latin rather, than it does in English. Christus Rex is actually a day which is very dear to my heart. I've always loved this day. It is the last Sunday of the, in the liturgical year of our church. And I said to Father Gritter, if I ever got a tattoo, which I do not have any, but if I ever did, wouldn't it be cool to have like Christus Rex across your back? I don't know. Maybe not. Don't tell my mom. But it is one of my favorite days, and the reason is this, because the image of Jesus as a king seems on the surface to be so uh, hallmarky and sort of, I don't know, it's misunderstood. And when you kind of dig in a little bit and know what it really means, it is really, really profound and important. And so here's the question for us today, and it's a biggie, and it's important, and it's real. For you, who or what is your king? That sounds like a weird question. Stay with me. Who or what is your king? Because the answer to that question changes absolutely everything. Who or maybe more importantly, what is your king? The answer to that question, who is your king, changes absolutely everything. So three points today in our Feast of Christ the King. Firstly, this is important, what is a king? Secondly, who is your king? That might sting a little, but stay with me. And then finally, what is your response? So what is a king exactly, biblically speaking? Secondly, who is your king? And then finally, what is our response? So first thing, and this is big, what is a king? Now, here's the thing. For Americans, the concept of a king seems almost absurd. I mean, I was thinking about this this past week, kind of in my mind about this idea of Christ the King, and there was a, a commercial came on for Burger King, right? And there's that creepy Burger King character, you ever see it? It's like, got his face with this permanent grin, it's kind of scary, right? And, and we kind of do that with kings as Americans, because to us, our entire nation was birthed in revolution against the King of England. And so to us, a king seems kind of like, well, why would you do that? And I'm not, I mean, no disrespect to my, my British friends, but to us, the concept just seems a little bit, well, unnecessary. And it seems, the king seems to an American like something which is politically oppressive. That's what we hear. If we don't just hear downright silly. But that misses the entire point of today's feast, and here's why. Because for a first century Jew, for, in fact, for all Judaism in the Old Testament, a king, listen to this, listen closely, a king was much more than a political figure. A king was the source of the identity of the people. Let me say that again. The king in the Jewish mind actually embodied, embodied in a, in a man 
the entire dreams, aspirations, and welfare of the Jewish nation. And we have no, we have no real corollary for that in American thought. I mean, the president as an office, maybe, kind of, a little, maybe closer to the, the, the queen or the king of England, right? The queen, the current queen embodies Britishness, right? So that may be sort of close, but in the Jewish mind, this is really important, and it won't make any sense unless you understand this. In the Jewish mind, the king represented the highest aspirations of the Jewish people, but it's even more than that. The king actually represented the fate of the nation he served. Say that again. The king as a man represented really the fate of the nation that he served. I'll give you an example. If you know your Old Testament, there are several books about the Jewish monarchy, the king of the Jews, right? It's a theme which runs through most of the Old Testament. Kings, first and second kings, first and second chronicles. And if you ever try to read the Bible from front to cover, if you make it to first kings, you'll probably crash and burn there because it's kind of a boring read. But one thing you discover, which is very, very important, the king of the Jews is not just a political leader. The king of the Jews, what he did, determined the fate, literally, of the nation. If the king was good, the people swore. If the king was bad, which was 99% of the time, the people tank. And that's important because the king represented the people before God. He was one man who represented, listen closely, the king of the Jews is a man who represents the entire people of God in one person. If he was bad, the people sank. If he was good, they did pretty well for a while until the next one came along. In this king was their identity and their self-concept. The entire welfare of God's people stand or fell, stood or fell based upon that king because he represented you. So here's the question, point number two. Who, maybe more importantly, who or what is your king? It's a big question, and it might sting. It's supposed to, actually. Who or what is your king? You know, here's the thing. Who or what is the thing that you use as the source of your identity as a human being? Think about it. How many of you identify who you are, who you are as a person of competency and capacity and importance by the friends you keep or the place where you live or the money you have or don't? Think about it. What are the things that you, your career, your marriage, your children, Pretty much probably one of those things, if you're like me. We, friends, mistakenly, and the Jews did it too. It's human nature because we're fallen sinners. Each of us finds something in our lives that we use to identify ourselves, that we use to value who we are as people. And if you don't know what that is, here's how you know. I'll give you a couple of diagnostics. You ready? This might hurt, but it'll help you if you think about it. What is the one thing that if you lost it would destroy you? That is your king. If you're at a cocktail party and someone says, so tell me about yourself. What's the first thing that's going to naturally roll off your tongue? Friends, that is your king. What are the things upon which you spend your money or you spend your time, talent, and treasure? Those things, people or places or objects, those things are your king. 
The point being that the king of the Jews is not a political being. Listen, it is somebody who actually represents God's people. And that's an important point because the king is a person or thing that represents you. So back to the question. This is a gut check, right? That's what Christ the King Feast is all about, to be reminded and to ask the important question. You know what, man? What, what really is my king? What really is the thing that I look to as a source of identity and, 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 and completeness? How do I define myself? See, the important thing here, go back to the story. Pontius Pilate, he was a bit of a loser. If you don't know anything about Pontius Pilate, he was a guy who made a political mistake, and he was sent to uh, Jerusalem, which was not a terribly important part of the Roman Empire. If you sent there, it's because you did something wrong, and he did, and that's where he wound up. And Pontius Pilate was a man who, he was not very smart, but he was politically savvy, and he knew something important, which speaks to my point today. If you are trying to control the Jewish people, what do you do? You find their leader, and you kill him. Pilate knows, because he knows that the Jews identify with their king to represent them, that if he can subdue this king, he can subdue them, which is precisely why Pontius Pilate executes Jesus the way that he does. He doesn't just feed him to the lions or cut his head off. Or There's many ways the Romans knew how to kill people. They're very good at that. What he does is he crucifies him. And crucifixion, of course, was a slow, painful, shameful death in front of everybody, stripped naked, nailed to a cross. Pontius Pilate is intentionally taking those people and saying, yeah, there's your king. That's what Rome does to your identity. And above Jesus, he does something very important. If you know, when the Romans would crucify somebody, and typically you were crucified for political revolution, which is what Jesus is crucified for, above the head of the person is, is something called a titulus. It's where you would put the title, the, the crime for which that person is charged. This is meant to be a deterrent and a strong one. And above the cross of Jesus Christ, Pontius Pilate writes the following words. In Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Iesus Nazareum, Rexus Iudeum, I-N-R-I, or in English, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. There he is. Pilate knows that if he can humiliate their king, he can humiliate and control them because their king represents them. And here's the, if you ever doubt that God has a sense of humor, here's a really good example. If you ever doubt that God has paradoxically has a sense of humor, here's a really good example. Because here's Pontius Pilate, this two-bit political hack who crucifies the Son of God as the King of the Jews, and yet, in God's providence, Pontius Pilate is precisely right. That despite himself, despite Pilate, Pilate is accurate. And the irony, of course, is that as the, the same king that the world mocks, get to that in a minute, God vindicates. Jesus is not concerned with greatness as, the, as people define it. He's God. He's God. He has no referent. He has nothing to which you can compare him. And this is where it gets really important. Jesus Christ is the true, ultimate, and final king of the Jews. Why? 
Because Jesus Christ, as the king of the Jews, does what every king was supposed to do and failed. But he is successful. The king of the Jews was meant to represent the people before God, to protect them, to save them, to, to lead them. And they all failed. You know why? Because they were sinners like me and like you. Jesus Christ is the last, final, and only true king because he is a man who represents his people fully upon the cross and gives his life in your place and in mine, who takes my sins and yours upon himself and represents me before the Father like the king is supposed to and dies therein to save me and you from hell. And if you think I'm making this up, I'll prove it. Isaiah the prophet, the prophets see into the future. The prophet Isaiah says this about this king. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by his stripes, we, I, you, are healed. Christ the king does what the king was supposed to do. It up until then had always failed. And he reigns not on a throne with the crown of gold, but on a tree with a crown of thorns. So here's the question, and this is a biggie. What do you make of this king? What do you make of that? There's only two reactions, and we see them both in the story. The claims of Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, the King of the Jews, are so outrageous, there's only two ways you can respond when you understand the claims that he makes. There's only two reactions, love and hate, and we see them here today. And most people, frankly, choose hate. Two guilty men, two guilty men, two guilty men are crucified with Jesus. And the, the word there that says criminal, bad, it's not a good word. It means, it means a, a, a political revolutionary. These are not people who are, you know, stealing candy bars at the Wawa. These are people who are charged with insurrection. They are crucified along Jesus, who was also crucified for insurrection. And we see the only two responses you can get to the claims that Jesus makes. The first man, it says they derided him. Now that Greek word is the word blasphemeo, blasphemy. Blasphemy is to accuse God of something which is not true. And the man says... He blasphemed him and says, save yourself if you are God. If you really are who you claim to be, do what I say. That's what the first man says. In other words, that first man asserts his own authority, his own choice over the way that God should act. The second man says, Jesus, remember me. Remember the second man who realizes he cannot save himself. Says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This past Friday, uh, I laid to rest, I buried a prisoner of ours, her name is Heidi Stott. She's a longtime member of this parish, she's an awesome person. I buried her on Friday at the Johns Island Cemetery next to her late husband, Bob. And she was a wonderful person, I, she had a great sense of humor. What you may not know about her, and she gave me permission to share this. What you may not know about Heidi Stott is that many, many years ago, 30 years ago, she was actually wrestling with a divorce from her, from her first husband, whose name was John. She was a young woman with three kids. She was wrestling with what she was going to do. I'm not going to give you the details. Not important. The important point is that she was wrestling with what do I do? Because if I leave my husband, my children will be affected. 
You know, nobody, nobody gets married thinking, you know, someday I may have to end this. No one ever does that. But she told me on her deathbed, she was really, really desperate. She had run out of options. She had no control. She was sad for the children. She felt guilty. She felt fearful. What will people say? And then she said to me, you know what, Father? One day, I knelt down on the ground. And I said, Jesus, I have no control. I cannot do this anymore. And I quote, whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. Whatever you tell me, she said, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. And she looked at me, if you know Heidi, with this, her funny view, and she said, you know, and he did. <laughs> and she said it completely changed her life. It completely changed her life. And what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, is that is a story of a woman who claimed Jesus as her king, who knew that she had no control, but that he did. And she was willing to place her entire life under his authority. So here's my question again, friends. Who is your king? What do you make of this charge that Pontius Pilate lays out today? The charge above that Christus Rex? Who is your king? And that brings me to my final point, that if Christ is your king, man, that, that changes absolutely everything. It kind of has to. It changes everything, because if you want Jesus to be your king, you have to make him the front and center and source of your life, your identity, all of your aspirations, everything. If he really is your king, man, he wants it all. You cannot meet him halfway. You cannot encounter the claims that Jesus makes and shrug your shoulders and say, well, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> the creator of the universe will demand nothing less than your acceptance or rejection of him as your savior. You can hate him and strive to be your own king, follow your own rules, fit Jesus into your life when it's convenient, go to church when nothing else more important is on your calendar, or you can love him and you can place all things at his feet. There is no third way. Christ the King will take no, will take second place to no person and no thing. Just the other day, a person from this parish came to my office and said, hey, Father Chris, I got a story to tell you. You're not going to believe what happened to me today. I said, okay, what, what happened? He said, well, I, I went to go get my hair cut, and I was standing in the barber shop, same place that I go, ironically, and I uh, standing in the barber shop, and he was asking how long the wait would be, and the person there said, are you in a hurry? One of the other clients there, and he said, well, actually, yeah, I'm in a hurry. And I said, he said, what's going on? You, know, you can go ahead of me, but where are you headed? And this person said, uh, well, I'm actually on my way to church. And the person looked at him like, oh, it's one of those people I've read about in the newspaper. I've heard about people like you. He said, I'm actually going to church. And the person said, church? And of course, everybody in the room went, <laughs> you've been there. You go to church. And, and he said, Allow, you go to church loud enough that everybody in the room could hear this. And the person said, you know, I knew that the Lord had placed that in front of me. And the guy said, why do you go to church? And he said, well, I go to church the first thing I do, the first day of the week, which is Sunday, by the way, because God is my priority. I go to hear the word of God preached, to pray alongside my brothers and sisters, to set my week with God at the front, to receive the body and blood of Christ in communion, 
That's why I go to church. It's changed my life. And it could change yours, this person said. You should go. Maybe that person's here today. I don't know. I mean, the person that they invited. Here's the thing, man, right? The Feast of Christ the King is both a theory and also a gut check, right? If Jesus Christ really is your king, that faith flows out of you. That faith cannot be contained. That courage cannot be stopped. That hope can never be taken away. Why? Because if Christ is your king, you know your center. And more importantly, you know whose you are. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus, your son, the king of kings, the man under whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. Lord, today we fall at his feet of Christ the King. We renew our commitment to him in whom in front of someday we will stand to give an account of our lives. Help us, Lord, to make Jesus our priority and to be faithful stewards of the gifts you have given to us. In the name of Christ the King, we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.